If you have a Bible, then we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 9 today, and we're going to title the message, The Kindness of God. Off and on, I've come back to looking at the life of David, so we're going to look at this. 2 Samuel 9, beginning in verse 1, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Are you Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness, the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son who is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Well, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. And now when Mephibosheth, the son of David, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore you all the land of Saul thy father, and you will eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? And then the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and to all his house. And now therefore, and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and you shall bring in the fruits, that thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then said Ziba unto the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, saith the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all that dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants unto Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. I'll tell you what, that Mephibosheth is one of those, you don't want to have to say that 20 times quick, I'll tell you that right now. Let's go before the Lord with the word of prayer. Father, I just asked that You'll show us, Lord, through this story in the Old Testament, just clearly the, the kindness that you have towards us, that you've exercised towards us, and that you also expect us to exercise towards others. And I ask that that will be clearly shown to us today, and we thank you for doing that in Jesus' name. So the main theme in 2 Samuel 9 is kindness. It's mentioned many times in that chapter that we just read. And when we usually think of kindness or somebody that's kind, we think of a person who's friendly, someone that's considerate, someone that's generous, someone that is helpful beyond the ordinary. But today, we're not just looking at ordinary kindness. We're looking at what it says there in verse three, that I may show thee the kindness of God. And that's the kind of kindness that goes so far as to show kindness to one's enemy the grandson of Saul. And it's a supernatural kindness. It's not a common kindness that we're going to look at today. I don't know if you're like me, but I think we all tend to remember times in our lives. You all have your, I'm, I could name a dozen things, but you'll have times in your life. You usually will remember if someone's been unkind to you, 
but I think you'll also remember when somebody has been kind to us. Just recently, we were driving back from the Cincinnati airport, and we hadn't gotten very far on the road, and I mean, it's this pothole, I mean, you could have swam in that thing. It blew out my back tire. I hit it, and I still drove a little ways, and I realized I'm out of air, and then I drove a little bit more, pulled in this parking lot of this bowling alley, the Super Bowl, it was called. Quite the bowling alley. A lot of people there. And I hadn't, no sooner had gotten out of my car, though, in this parking lot, and it was, you know, kind of late at night, and this young couple pulls up. They had seen what happened. They'd seen me hit that pothole. This wasn't like I just got over right away. I wasn't that smart. I drove on my flat a little ways, but anyways, to get in this parking lot. They followed me. They said, we saw what happened, and they followed me over into that parking lot, and they wanted to know, is there anything we can do to help you? And I'm like, wow, that is like super nice of you. And the thing that really impressed me the most about them was they were smiling. I'm thinking they went out of their way. They had to be going out for the night, and they just got this big smile on their face, and they weren't reluctantly helping me. They were just more than willing to help me. I mean, those acts of kindness stay with you, and it reminded me, we first moved here from up in Columbus. It was over 30 years ago. Lisa and I had our car break down on 64. I mean, we hadn't just pulled over, and it was the same thing. This young couple stops, and right away, is there anything we can do for you? Can we help you? I mean, whatever you need. I've never forgotten that. We don't tend to forget that happened 30-some years ago. And I still remember that, because I'm thinking, nobody does that up north. But anyway, so, I mean, what does that tell you? Like the bowling alley incident, what does that tell you? Boulders are the kindest people on earth? I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily it. But the point is, the point I'm trying to make is, we remember acts of kindness. And I'm sure all of us could sit here and either somebody at church or somebody outside of church has been kind to you along the way. And you tend to remember those kind of things. But as kind as those people were to me, I wasn't their enemy. Though I wasn't their enemy. The kindness, though, that we're seeing from David here in this chapter is beyond that kind of kindness because he's blessing his enemy. And David's kindness, that kind of kindness, it isn't, like I said, it's not inherent in his nature because where does that kindness come from? It's the kindness of God. That kind of kindness that you're going to bless your potential enemy only can come from God because why I'm saying it's not inherent in David is David was capable of some very unkind acts like adultery and murder and lying. He was a man after God's own heart, but he was imperfect and he was only a type. So he's pointing to the perfectly kind man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just a type, but he was a regenerate man. He was a good king. The Lord said, you get Saul in there, all he's going to do is just take from you all. He's a taker. He's going to take your children. He's going to take all your crops, take your lands. He's a taker, taker, taker. David, though, to show what kind of heart he had, when the first thing he did when he was installed as king was to give. He gave everybody some wine, gave everybody some bread. He wanted to bless everybody. That's the type of king Israel needed and wanted, but he wasn't perfect, was he? He wasn't the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham because we were going to have to wait what? We had to wait a whole nother 1,000 years until that promise was fulfilled. The perfect king, the little babe that was born in the manger that became and grew up to be the Lord Jesus Christ, the king of kings, the perfect king. And listen, when he comes back, We'll experience on earth the only perfect government that has ever existed. A benevolent dictatorship 
That is the perfect government. And that's going to happen during the millennium. And I'm saying no earthly president, king, dictator will ever come close to what we'll see when the Lord Jesus Christ reigns over this entire earth. The kindness, the justice, and the perfect wisdom of the King of Kings will be on display. And we'll see what a benevolent, kind dictator in person really is like, someone that's in charge. Never been seen on this earth. The grand experiment of America, this democracy is grandly failing, isn't it? It's a grand failure is what it is. But here's, we're talking about, he's pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we read in the Gospels of Jesus, he feeds the multitudes, heals every kind of illness, every kind of disease, grants deliverance, raises the dead several times. Acts of kindness. Peter said he went about doing good, doing acts of kindness, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. But the greatest act of kindness that our Lord did was what? sacrificing his body on the cross for our sins, becoming the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then rising from the dead, conquering death and Satan. That is the greatest act of kindness that he has ever done for us or that anyone could do for us. But when we look at David here, the fact that David extended his generous kindness to Mephibosheth is amazing. And here's why. So when you follow his rise to power, 2 Samuel 5, he's anointed the king of Israel. It says, David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. And in 2 Samuel 6, David, he's anointed king. In 2 Samuel 5, he makes Jerusalem the capital, brings the ark there, 2 Samuel 7. Nathan comes to him and he says, listen, you're not going to build the temple, you're a bloody man. But one of your sons, David, this is how exalted you will be for all whatever. One of your sons is going to sit on this throne forever. Forever. And 2 Samuel 8, with God's help, and he acknowledges that it's God's help, he conquers all of his enemies. And there is peace in the land. And at this point, the chapter right before we're at in 2 Samuel, David is established as a great king. I mean, he's at the pinnacle of being a king. Now, at that point, there is no newly crowned king in the ancient Near East during that time that would have stopped at that point and said to himself, is there a way I can show kindness to my enemy? Because it was common back then. This was the common practice. A newly crowned ruler, he isn't going to look to bless those that could be in competition. They exterminated the dynasty that was before them. They got rid of everybody. They didn't want anybody trying to usurp the throne, cause uprisings. They just got rid of all of them. They wanted to stamp out any competition. But we look and see here in verse 1, David said, is there yet any? Here he is at the, the height of his career. Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul? his enemy, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. So he adds that at the end, for Jonathan's sake. And why is that back in 1 Samuel 20? Jonathan and David had made a covenant between them. Jonathan sees that David is going to be the king. And he tells him, he says, look, when you come to power and you cut off all your enemies, which is what happened in chapter 8, cut off all your enemies, I want you to promise me and make a covenant that you will not cut off the kindness to the house of of Jonathan. And David swore twice to Jonathan that he wouldn't do that. He would preserve Jonathan's seed. So most kings, they would have had revenge on Saul's house. 
But David remembered all the kindness, because Jonathan helped him out quite a bit. Those guys were like that, weren't they? And Jonathan showed him a lot of kindness, and he remembered the covenant he'd made, and David was a man of integrity. So there's a lot of people that are like, hey, wait a minute. Saul and Jonathan, they're dead. Now, I'm going to take care of business here. I'm going to get rid of this guy's line, you know, and they, they weren't very nice to me. That family wasn't very nice to me. But he recalled his vow. And he was a man of integrity, but it wasn't just a matter of keeping his word. David had still a loving attitude towards his old friend. And he was going to be loyal to Jonathan, even with his success. Instead of getting what was commonly would have happened to a person like Mephibosheth, or getting what he deserved, what did he receive? Grace. And he knew it. Look what it says in verse 8. Look what it says. And Mephibosheth, when he comes before David, and here's what he says, it says he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? He didn't know about David's promise to his father. In his mind, he comes before David. All this guy's going to want to do is take my head off. And listen, that's the whole reason he's afraid of. That's the whole reason, if you don't know it, that he's lame on his feet. Do you know why Mephibosheth is lame on his feet? Because back in 2 Samuel 4, when Saul and Jonathan are fighting the Philistines and news comes that they're dead and they're killed, there was a nurse. Back in 2 Samuel 4, Mephibosheth now is old enough, he's got a son. We talk, it's named his son Micah. So he's got to be at least 15 to 20. But back in 2 Samuel 4, it says he's five years old. And news comes to the nurse that his dad and his grandfather have just been killed. And she realizes what that means. They're going to come after him. David's going to come after him. So it says she picks him up, and in her haste, whether she's on a horse or running, I don't know. But whatever happens, she drops him on rocks, or somehow she drops him that he's lame in his feet from there on out. Because they realize he's probably going to be a dead man the way things work, the way things work with kings. Going to eliminate anybody in Saul's line. So she took that lame prince and hid him in a man's house far away. Here we have at this point, we have Mephibosheth hiding, afraid of the king, and lame. Why? All because of his relation to Saul and his family. And yet, David shows him God's kindness. He lavishes his own Mephibosheth. He goes far beyond his obligation in the covenant that he made with Jonathan. He told Jonathan, I'm telling you, I'll keep him alive. David went far beyond that with what he did. What we need to see is God's given us this story as a perfect illustration of his great kindness that he has shown us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because here's what we need to see is we are all Mephibosheths. We all need to receive God's kindness. So David was opposed by Saul and he was David's enemy and Mephibosheth was in the family of David's enemies. We are all part of a family from a family that are enemies of God, the family of Adam. And the Bible says we were all enemies of God at one time. We had Adam's name. We had Adam's nature. He was our daddy. That was the first thing. And like Mephibosheth and like Adam, we were hiding from God, afraid of him, afraid to face the Lord. At least I was before I became a Christian. I was scared to death that one day I was going to have to die and face that judgment. 
you know, we just had a sense, if you, before you're a Christian, it says all of men live their lifetime in fear of death. We just had a sense that things just aren't right between us and God. So we avoided him, just like criminals avoid the police. Unless there are three houses down from me, because I had a guy there that he was on the FBI's 10 most wanted list and moves in three houses down from us, and the person living next door to him, there's a sheriff's car, sits out there every day. Man, that was brilliant. Because somehow she figured, I don't know how she figured out who it was. Next thing you know, the FBI are staking the guy out. We wake up one morning and we got SWAT team bombs going off and everything else to collect this guy. So I'm saying most criminals avoid the police. This guy, he moved right next door to one. Well, that's how it was. He's hiding like we had. Here's Mephibosheth. He's hiding from the king. The last thing he wants to do is get a visit from him. But one day there's a knock at the door. And I could picture him sitting in a chair and he can see as the door opens, as Mechor opens the door, there's David's soldiers. We want Mephibosheth, take him to the king. And he's probably thinking, it's all over. It's all over. This is the end. But what he didn't know is that was not judgment knocking on his door, but that was grace. And grace was seeking him, just like it sought us. Like what said the other night, that song... <laughs> We didn't call out to him. He called to us. We weren't seeking for him. He came seeking us is the way it works. Grace isn't picky. And we can be thankful for that. Because David didn't ask, is there anyone worthy in the house of Saul? He didn't ask, is there anybody that's qualified to come in my house? He didn't say, is there anybody decent, deserving, noble, or honorable? That isn't what he said, is it? If you look what he says there, he says... Is there any? Is there anyone? He's not picky. He just wants somebody to keep his word and to show his love and kindness to. Is there anyone? And you know, Zeba, I don't think Zeba was a very honorable person at all in a lot of different ways. I don't want to get into what he does later on. But you know, when he tells him, well, yeah, there's one, but he doesn't just tell him, yeah, there's one. He has to add on there, well, he's lame in his feet. Kind of like, I don't know that you'd want him in your court, David. Yeah, there's one I know about, but I'm going to let you know he's lame in his feet. He's not going to look too good in the king's house. I think that's kind of what he might be saying there. David doesn't care. Because when he hears that, the first thing he says, he hears he's lame. I mean, lame people were not allowed in the house of the Lord. And David knew that, but he doesn't care. I've got to keep my word. I'm going to show my love. I'm going to show kindness to my friend and his family because I promised and I love him. And so his answer is, when he asks, isn't there any, is, where is he? Like I said, grace isn't picky. And he didn't have the best to pick from then. Now let me ask you, are you a bad apple? I was a bad apple. You're in here, sitting in here today, are you a bad apple? I would say then you are a prime candidate for God's kindness because we were all bad apples. And if you would, put something there and turn back to Titus 3, please. And it says in Titus 3, verse 3, it describes us. Paul puts himself in here. Paul wrote Titus and he says, for we, he includes himself. He says, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers, lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful 
and hating one another. And aren't you glad that it doesn't end at verse 3? And maybe that some of you, you can't say you were that. Maybe that's what you are today. Listen to what it goes on to say in verse 4. Like I said, I love the butts of the Bible. If they weren't there, we'd be in deep trouble. But in verse 4, he says, but after that or when the kindness, there it is, and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. It wasn't by works of righteousness because we didn't have any, which we have done. But it was according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. If you're in here today and you know that you're not right with God, you know that you're living in sin, but you'd like to make peace with God, but you're scared that he won't accept you, that he doesn't like people like you, your conscience is bothering you in that way. I'm saying that's a lie of the devil. It's the devil that is telling a person to keep your distance from God. Because like we said Wednesday, God is pleading with you. And I'm going to give you, we'll read 2 Corinthians 5.20 again, but it's also in the Old Testament. He pleads with people to come to him. They have to repent and turn, but to come to him and live. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, But now we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Pray you in Christ's stead. We beg you on behalf of Christ is what it's saying. We're pleading with you, imploring you. In Christ's stead, in other words, if he was here himself, Paul's saying, this is what he would say. Be reconciled. I'm begging you. And why is that? Because a verse I really love is Ezekiel 18. You think, man, I've done some things. I don't know. I'm backslidden. I'm just not doing well. Maybe you've never been saved. And I just don't know if God would accept me. I don't know if he wants to. Maybe I'm not one of the elect or whatever. Well, listen to Ezekiel 18. He says this, but if the wicked, no matter why, how, or who, or what, you're wicked, but if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he has committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, God says he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he has committed, it says they shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he has done, shall he live. Here's the heart of the Lord. He says, have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die. He says, have I had any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? And he says, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live. <laughs> God says, I have no pleasure. I don't care who it is. I don't have pleasure that anyone goes to hell, that the wicked die in his sin and perish. He says, my pleasure is that that person should return from his ways, repent and live. I mean, he's begging in Old and New Testament. That is the heart of God. It said he didn't send his son to condemn the world, did he? But that the world through him, what? Might be saved. And it's men that flee from the light. The kindness and love of God has appeared as a light. He's calling people, come unto me. Calling people to come. Go back to 2 Samuel 9. 
He's brought before David, and he had to be shaken with fear, because look what it says in verses 6 and 7. It says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, well, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David had to say unto him what? He had to say unto him, Fear not. But listen, those had to be words. Oh, those had to be golden words to hear, fear not. He didn't hear harsh words, did he? He didn't hear words someone take off his head, but he heard words of kindness. I think he was looking in a compassionate and loving face. When he saw David's face, I don't think there was any harshness there. I really don't. He says, look at verse 7, all of it. He says, David said unto him, fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness. Imagine how those words would have been to Mephibosheth. For Jonathan thy father's sake, oh, I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and you will eat bread at my table, he says, continually. A kind face, kind words. That's the way God is, isn't he? You know, the stories told Thomas Jefferson was anything but a Christian. But his stories told of Thomas Jefferson, he was with a group of friends. They were riding horseback cross country, and they come up to this swollen river. He's with a bunch of his buddies. There was a guy on foot there that he wanted to get across the river. And so he waited until several of Jefferson's friends went on across. And then he called out to President Jefferson and asked him if he would carry him across on his horse. And Jefferson reached down and pulled that guy up on the back of his horse and carried him to the opposite bank. And when they got over there, one of the men says, tell me, why did you select the president to ask this favor of? And the guy's like, the president? He says, I didn't know he was the president. He says, all I know is that on some of those faces, the answer was written no. And on his face, the answer was written yes. And his was a yes face. Mephibosheth, he saw a yes face when he was brought before King David. A face of kindness. Fear not, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. When we come and look in the face of God, when we turn to him, we see a yes face. That's what we see. Not for our sake. Not for our sake, because we're lame and worthless like Mephibosheth, but for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. Greg, when he preached, talked about the prodigal's father, the face of the prodigal's father. When the son returns, he had to repent. But when he comes back and confesses his sin, the father's immediate reply when he cut him off from confessing his sin was this. Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. He's seeing a yes face there. He's not seeing his father that's like, get out of here, boy, out of after what you've done. Like Greg said, that's the way it is. That is that side of God. God is love. God is kind. And sometimes kindness will also correct us, won't it? So there's that side. We know that. He wants us to be holy. We're going to be holy if we're his. But he's going to do that in kindness. He's not going to correct us like a dad shouldn't correct a child any worse than he needs to. Right? God's not going to do that to us. Because the goal is not to crush us, to discourage us. The goal is just to get us back on the right path when he corrects us. That's his love and kindness. And that's how it works. 
But just like the prodigal's father, just like King David, God's kindness is lavish and generous because David does two things when Mephibosheth comes before him. The first thing he does is he restores everything that was Saul's, his grandfather's to him. And he also tells him the second thing is he will eat at the king's table continually. So look what it says there in verse 7. And David said unto him, Fear not, I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. And he says, I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. I will restore and like I said, God sent his son Jesus to us, not to curse us, not to condemn us, but to restore all that was taken from us, didn't he? That's what that's all about. Restoration, bringing us back. It's Joel 2. The Lord said to Israel what David said to Mephibosheth. Fear not, O land, in Joel 2, fear not, O land, and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. And he says, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, and you shall eat plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed." And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. Now, that's the word of the Lord. It's not my word. Now, there was a time that churches like ours got really excited about that. And there's not much excitement anymore. And so it might be we need to go back more towards the beginning of chapter two. And the beginning of chapter two is he says, if you'll turn to me, basically with all your heart and fasting, then I'll restore. So it's got to be that returning. And maybe that's where we're missing it. But we definitely need to have joy restored here. An expectation. That's the purpose he sent the Lord Jesus Christ. Not for us to have downcast faces and testimonies that it didn't work out, but just the opposite. He wants to give us joy, gladness, and healing and deliverance. Amen. Supernaturally, that's what it's all about. Jesus told the crowd in the synagogue in Luke 4 and Nazareth, we've all heard this, but we get to hear it again because this is why he came. Came to restore. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. God has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the year of Jubilee. That's when everything's given back. Just what David did to Mephibosheth. You get everything back that you thought you lost. That's the picture. That's why it says those things were written for us to learn from. And that's the picture he's given us here in 2 Samuel 9. <laughs> we're Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is lame, an outcast, hiding in fear. But when he's brought before the king, the king says, uh -uh -uh, I'm going to show you kindness. I'm going to give you back everything you thought you lost. That's us. That's what Jesus promises us. That's what he says he'll do. And he also went on to say, this day, Jesus told that crowd, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And it was fulfilled back then. Then we're not waiting for that to be fulfilled. 
It's been fulfilled. It's already happened. Praise God. So he's telling us there, Jesus is saying, I came to bring recovery, healing, deliverance, and liberty. He's saying that is the kindness of God. Because that's what David's doing for Mephibosheth, isn't it? He said, I'm going to show you the kindness of God. Here's what it is. It's recovery. And Jesus came to show us the kindness of God. Went about doing good. Kind acts. And what were they? Healing through the power of God all that were oppressed of the enemy. That's what a kind person does. That's all through the Bible. Amen? We have to believe it, don't we? We have to believe it. Because they got mad at him in Luke 4. Because he's like, you know, that's what I'm here for. And you all don't want to receive it. And they got mad. They should have been glad. They should have repented and said, man, you are here. Thank you so much, God, for sending you here. No, instead they want to throw him down the hill. That's no way to respond, is it? God says, I want to bless you, and you're going to throw that blessing down the hill? Man, we need to say, whatever it takes for me to understand this, that I can partake of it and have my joy restored. That's what I want. I mean, that's why I got in churches like this. I mean, I lived in the Catholic church. That's nothing but death. There's no joy in the organ and, and an altar boy and ringing the bells and that incense that <coughs> you, you can't keep your eyes open in your coffin. It came to meetings like this, and it's like God is coming to give you back life. And the Holy Spirit, he wants to indwell in you. I mean, man, we ought to still get excited about that, I think. I will. I'll get excited about it. But the second thing he promises is to allow Mephibosheth to eat bread at his table continually. That's at the end of verse 7. He says, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And four times. Now, here's one thing you need to learn when you read your Bibles. If God keeps repeating something in a chapter or whatever, that means it's a big deal. Four times he says the same thing in verse 7, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 13. David keeps saying, you will eat bread at my table continually. And look at verse 13. It says, so Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. And then it adds, and he was lame on both his feet. And what a picture that paints, doesn't it? There he is at the king's table eating continually, and he still has those lame feet. I read this way of describing how those meals would have been, and I thought it was pretty good. So here you can just imagine David saying, you're going to eat at my table. This would have been before all the trouble breaks loose. But when he starts coming, the dinner bell rings, and here comes David's family, if you can picture it, in for dinner, family and friends. You've got Amnon, old Amnon, like you said, he's probably clever and witty. He's coming to the dinner table. And then you have Joab, the general. He's rugged, soldier. He probably carries himself that certain way. He's got that suntan, you know, and, and he's probably pretty impressive walking in there. And then here comes Absalom. Oh, boy, Hollywood looks. I'd say tall, dark, and handsome, but he's Jewish, so he's probably short, dark, and handsome. I'm Jewish. Five nines, all the bigger I'm getting. But anyways... I think I'm shrinking even, but not a blemish. Long flowing hair. That must not, I don't know how Jewish that is, but that's what he had. And then just picture, then here comes Tamar, the young, beautiful sister comes in. And then you hear this, this clumping. And it opens the door and there's Mephibosheth clumping away, hobbling in. 
in the midst of all of those people in their perfection, hobbling in, takes his seat smiling. As they say, the tablecloth of grace covers his feet. But that's a picture of God's great kindness because Mephibosheth doesn't look like the rest of them, but he is treated like the rest of them. Isn't he? Just like any other son of the king. You know why? Because he's been adopted into the family like us. And he's treated just like he fits in, just as if he's just as important as everyone else that's there. And that's the way it is for us. Can you imagine that one day this is going to happen with you and I? There's a banquet coming up, isn't there? A heavenly banquet that's coming up, Jesus promises it. And could you imagine we'll be sitting there with Peter and John and Paul and Martin Luther and Abraham and Esther, King David. We're going to be sitting with people and think, how did we get here? That's what Mephibosheth's doing at David's table. And that's what we'll be doing because we all are Mephibosheths. We really are. And we need to meditate on this, that Mephibosheth was to dine at the king's table continually. And he had to think to himself, how did I ever get here? I didn't deserve this. My family treated this man shamefully. I was hiding, afraid. I even hated David. I'm not worthy of all this. And if it wasn't for my father, Jonathan, I'd be a dead man. That's what he had to be thinking. And yet, still, he's dining there. That's what an honor and a privilege. And we need to meditate on the thought that if we, all of us in here, got what we deserved, we would be in hell. That would be our future, a lost eternity. Instead, we are invited to feast at the king's table continually, aren't we? We've been allowed to feast on his word for years. We have, if nothing else, open Bibles, don't we? And we have the indwelling Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't deserve any of that. And we need to think about that. Verse 13 says, He did eat continually at the king's table, was lame at both his feet. So even though that's the invitation to us, even though we're lame, we're weak, we're struggling, Jesus still says, Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, he says, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. The same invitation Mephibosheth got. We can come and eat continually at the king's table. We got the same invitation. Can we hear that? We got to hear that. Well, let me finish by saying this. We are only have to receive God's kindness. We're not just Mephibosheths. We are that, but not just that. We're also expected to be channels of God's kindness. So in that sense, we're also Davids, aren't we? And David said in verse 3 of chapter 9, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God? You know, David is looking back on his life at this point, I think, and he is seeing all the generous kindness that God has shown him. And he is so overwhelmed. Isn't that the way it is sometimes when you see what all God has done for you? That you want to show that kindness and share that kindness with someone else? And really... If you know you're saved and you know you have eternal life, what's the greatest kindness you can show anyone? It's what we talked about Wednesday. That's sharing the gospel with them, isn't it? 
and seeing them brought to eternal that's the greatest kindness that will ever show a person but we're called to be servants aren't we to show the kindness of God and especially to our enemies first Corinthians 13 4 says love is patient and love is kind first Corinthians 13 4 and love cost doesn't it because it cost David to show kindness to Mephibosheth it did kindness isn't just a nice thought kindness isn't just being a nice person because nice people don't always help you out it's more than that so if you would turn to Luke and we'll show you God's definition of what it means to be kind if you turn to Luke 6 his version of the Sermon on the Mount Luke chapter 6 beginning in verse 27 we're saying kindness is costly because it's love Luke 6 verse 27 Jesus says but I say unto you which here love your enemies do good to them which hate you bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you and unto him that smites you on one cheek Offer also the other. And him that takes away your cloak, forbid not to take away thy cloak also. Give to everyone that ask of thee. And of him that takes away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. We all like to have kindness showed to us, so we need to do it to others. He says, for if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again and your reward shall be great and you shall be the children of the highest and look what it says there at the end of verse 35. Here is what he's saying, for he is kind. That means he's showing his love unto the unthankful and unto the evil. Be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. So what is the kindness of God? It's what David did to Mephibosheth, and that's just what we read in Luke 6. Isn't that what he did? Giving loving, doing good, not just to our friends, but what's the point of Luke 6? He's saying to your enemies. And that's what we read about there in 2 Samuel 9. To your enemies. That's how we demonstrate the kindness of God. We need to be channels, don't we? Like David. That's how we do it. There's this word that was said, you can accomplish by kindness what you cannot by force. Read another story, William McKinley. He's, it's been a few years, but at one time, William McKinley was the president of the United States. And he understood that, that you can accomplish through kindness what you can't by force. So when he was campaigning to be president, there was this reporter from the opposition newspaper, followed him constantly, lied about him, twisted things that he said, remarks that he made. And eventually, while this campaign's going on, the weather became extremely cold. And here, this reporter, he didn't have enough clothes to wear, didn't have a coat, didn't have the proper, but he still kept following McKinley, continued to follow him. Well, in one bitterly cold night, one exceptionally cold night, the president is riding along, and he's in a closed carriage. And here's this reporter is riding out in front of him in an open seat. 
without, he's just shivering in that driver's seat on the outside. And so McKinley told him, he said, stop the carriage. And he got out and he told the reporter, he says, here, I want you to come in and sit with me and I'll give you my coat and all that. And that guy looks at him. He couldn't believe it. He's astonished. And he's like, look, I don't know what you're up to. He said, but I am still going to be your opposition. And I'm not going to stop opposing you during the campaign. And McKinley told him, he goes, you know, I understand that young man, but please just take my coat and step in the carriage, which he did. But here's what happened. The reporter continued to be the opposition, but what he did quit doing was writing the lies and the distortions. He understood something, I think, of the words of Jesus, President McKinley. Love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and the evil. I thought that was a good illustration of that. Listen, we live our lives in day-size bits. We're never going to have today again. And today is the day that we have to show the kindness of God because we may not have tomorrow to show kindness. There's this Irish saying that says, "'Tis better to buy a small bouquet and give it to your friend this very day than a bushel of roses white and red to lay on his coffin after he's dead." In other words, today is the day to show kindness. There's this guy named Steve Grullet. I never heard of Steve Grullet. He's this French-born Quaker. But he's famous for these words about kindness. He says, I shall pass through this world but once. Any good that I can do or any kindness that I can show any human being, let me do it now and not defer it, for I shall not pass this way again. And that's kind of a mindset you have to have, isn't it? As far as doing kind towards people. And the Bible calls us to be kind one to another. Ephesians 4, Paul wrote, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and he's talking about between each other, between us here. Bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, which is arguing, and evil speaking, which is slander, be put away from you with all malice. And he goes on to say, but be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. That's what we're supposed to show towards each other, kindness and to be tender-hearted. They go hand in hand. Can't have one without the other. Micah 6, 8, the song we sing, there's only three things that God requires of us to do justly, saying don't you lie, steal, cheat, just deal fairly and honestly with people. But the second thing he says we're to do justly and to love mercy. We're to love to be kind. That's what that word is. And he says, thirdly, to walk humbly with our God. He wants us to trust him and walk by faith. He wants us to love mercy, to love to be kind. And then it says we will be like him. That's what we read in Luke 6. We'll be like him. We'll be like Jesus. We'll be like David. We'll be like God wants us to be. And John Wesley Sum it up here, he is famous for this saying, I've read this many times, do all the good you can, and all the ways you can, and all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. In other words, be kind at all times. I always thought that was pretty good. And that's the heart, though, that we're seeing in 2 Samuel 9 with David. Is there yet any? 
In other words, Wesley's saying, look for opportunities to be kind and then do it. And David is saying, is there yet any of the house of Saul? He's looking, he's saying, that I may show the kindness of God. I want to do it. It's overflowing in me. And that's the kind of heart that we need to pray that God will give us. A heart of kindness, which is the kindness of God. Verse 3, 2 Samuel 9. Amen? All right, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for these illustrations, these true stories that you've given us of your people that demonstrate to us the truths that you teach in the New Testament. They just come to life in the Old Testament, and we can clearly see through these stories what you mean. And you more than showed kindness to Mephibosheth through David, and you've done the same for us. And we just thank you, Lord, for that, that despite our deformities, our sinfulness, our corrupt natures, Lord, that you came and you showered your kindness and your mercy on us, not because of anything we did, but because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And we're going to look at that today as we celebrate the bread and cup, Lord, and I ask you to remind us and make it real to us all the great kindness that you've shown and the price you paid and the cost of the kindness that was shown us. And so we thank you for that. Thank you that we can see your nature and how we can channel your nature to others. And we thank you that you've done that for us today in Jesus' name. Amen.